But I would say that overall, like the financial system is just there's a challenge for it is that we've overlooked the needs of our women customers at I would say every stage of, of a woman's journey, a life journey. And yeah. so we need to start recognizing some of these behavioral and attitudinal difference differences between men and women. And the only way that we can really change the experience is by having those voices at that table who are making decisions about what that experience actually looks like. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today, I'm joined by Shannon Peston, founder and CEO of Peston Consulting, Inc. I'm excited to talk to her today about the importance of disruption in capital markets for the benefit of women entrepreneurs. Welcome, Shannon. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, you bet. Well, I grew up in Calgary and I still call Calgary home. And uh, I grew up in a really entrepreneurial family. And so I think business has always sort of been part of who I was growing up. So um, I ended up studying at Mount Royal. I went to the University of Lethbridge and I focused on marketing and entrepreneurship. Over my career, I sort of have been a little bit all over the place, but I've worked from legal (laughs) Uh, in the legal sector, to education, accounting, and banking. Um, and I spent the last years actually at ATB Financial. So I don't know my background, I guess, working in marketing. Uh, I was at ATB, um, and I don't know if you know Wellington Holbrook, but he's a huge mentor of mine. And he was one mm-hmm. of our uh, EVPs at the time. And as I mentioned, I came from marketing. And one day he threw me a curveball and, and asked what I thought about becoming a business banker. And... <laughs> normally marketing doesn't go to finance right Um, right and probably had I known better I I would have known what I was walking into I probably would have said an immediate no but ignorance is bliss and yeah I spent six years as a business uh, relationship manager working with entrepreneurs across um, Alberta and that was a really actually turned out to be such an exciting role for me and in that role I moved and became the director of women's entrepreneurship at ETB which was the first time that there was a dedicated women's entrepreneurship strategy. But then to make another change, I've now left into entrepreneurship myself and I've started my own company, which is called Peston Consulting and um, still working on the advancement of women's entrepreneurship. Hmm. That's a, a, a bit of a non-linear path, but um, all, you know, it sounds like one thing sort of led to, to another and, and that's how you got to where you are. You brought to the forefront women's entrepreneurship at ATB, an experience of of creating a new focus at ATB. How did that unfold for you? Yeah, this was sort of an unanticipated journey. And much like I used to recall myself an accidental banker, this this kind of came (laughs) to me by total surprise as well. Um, But for me, this work really started when I was in a lending role. And I really had an aha moment. I was working with a lady, and I'll just say her first name, which is Shiny, but her name is important to me because she was sort of the one that shone this this light mm-hmm. on a problem that I was about to uncover. And it, when I was working with this this lady named Shiny, I remember thinking to myself, interesting, I don't have any other female entrepreneurs in my portfolio. 
And I just kept thinking, why? It's a random thought to me, but I just, I guess she was my aha moment. And I love that her name was Shiny. Yeah. Um, How fitting. I just, it was so fitting. And I think that's, uh, you know, there's no accidents in life. And uh, so thank you, Shiny, for, uh, for pointing this out to me. But I just really started to research. Like I got really obsessed with this question, like, where are all the women? And it was just that thing that kept nagging at me. And I think often I'd work with entrepreneurs and they would, they would say things like, I just, it's something that I think about all the time, whatever problem that they were solving, it was always top of mind for them. It would wake them up at night. And this was that thing for me that I just couldn't (laughs) let go. And somewhere in me, I just sort of felt like this was, there was a calling for this work. You know, I started to see that this isn't just a, this isn't just an issue that I was seeing. This was a global issue. And what I was starting to uncover were some deep gender gaps, not only from a participation in women's entrepreneurship, but also an investment gap where access to financial capital is the number one barrier that uh, that women entrepreneurs are facing. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how this grew. But for me, it was really just staying with that problem. And then being sort of probably not very curious about the problem, it, the question became, well, what role does the financial industry play in closing this gap? And what role mm-hmm. will I play in activating the change necessary to see the gaps close? Very interesting. I think, you know, one of the themes that we've certainly seen on this podcast with with entrepreneurs is is really that question that keeps them up at night that you're talking about. And, and that's often what motivates women entrepreneurs to go into business for themselves to solve this problem that keeps them up at night. And it's interesting that you came at it, you know, similarly with the what's the problem that keeps you up at night, but really more focused on, well, how can I help them solve their problems to, you know, to let them sleep at night as well? <laughs> But, you know, it's also it was kind of more than that, though, too, Heather, like, you're totally right. It was like looking at how do I support women entrepreneurs? But it was also how do we as a financial institution benefit from a rapidly growing segment that is currently yeah. underserved? So it was looking at supporting women entrepreneurs, but also thinking about, um, I don't want to say being opportunistic, but as a business and banking would be a business, it was how do we ensure that we're relevant to this audience? So that, that yeah. and it did. It was one of those things that just kept kept nagging at me, and uh, yeah. So that's that's kind of the long winding trail of how I got to here from marketing to banking to this point in time where I've I've dedicated my career to the advancement of women entrepreneurship. It's it's interesting how you can have a focus, you know, like for example, your experience, your focus as being a banker, and how that's really led to a lens or a view or you know a light shining on your role in the advocacy for women entrepreneurs. And as you said, one of the, the the primary barriers that women entrepreneurs face, maybe disproportionately to other entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs more generally, is that access to capital. Um, and so I think it's really important to have those experiences from bankers and as you know, from a lawyer, for example, and and to take those viewpoints, because I think we bring a slightly different perspective um, when we're talking about it. But all of us are really advocates for women entrepreneurs and for advancing, as you say, the, you know, the problem or moving it forward in in, in maybe some non-traditional ways. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about something very specific. Um, in your role at ATB, you created the first rewards-based crowdfunding campaign that was dedicated to women entrepreneurs. Why did you do that? 
Well, maybe I'll just go back just even being like, you know, as an experience is just being a banker. But one of the things that I had to do, I mentioned that I didn't have a lot of women in my portfolio, but I needed to get connected to women entrepreneurs to really validate the problem that I thought I was seeing. Yeah. I remember what the way that I tackled it was I created an alias on Twitter and I <laughs> called myself a girl's biz banker. Um, it was one of those things, oh. it was sort of a, a you know a passion project of mine that I wasn't yeah. really sure how I was going to bring it yet to ATB, and I really wanted to just understand and and learn as much as I could, and I wanted to be somewhat controversial um, in the conversations I was engaging in, and so I created this this alias of a girl's biz banker, and you know sort of to ask your question about just being the experience as a as a banker. On the other side of it, I understood the financial industry, and I understood yep. Yep. the processes and the systems. And when you understand how the, the system works, you start to uncover where the internal blind spots are. And so yeah, this yeah. meshing of understanding like the customer needs based on what their feedback. But then what I remember there was an aha moment for me where I just thought, you know, as a banker, you influence the purse strings and success of any entrepreneur. And that's where that sort of that frontline experience was really important, as was going underground, if you will, through this yeah. <laughs> alias uh, where no one knew that it was me. I remember getting one message on Twitter one day saying, are you with ATB by chance? It happened to be a, <laughs> another ATB worker, but I was, I was then outed. But yeah, so crowdfunding, I, if I go back to it and again, I, like nothing, I, I always think like nothing in life is an accident. So I take a look at how my career journey went. But about 10 years ago, and I was working in marketing at the time at ATB, I started studying crowdfunding. And it was a colleague of mine at the time that who invited me to work on this I'll say a side project that looked at how crowdfunding could and ultimately would democratize the commercialization of innovation and financing. And we had this chance to present the idea of crowdfunding to our executive leadership team. And I remember at the time I hadn't even heard of crowdfunding when he brought this to me, but the idea of it and its potential um, for what was to come of it felt really exciting to me. And I loved how it was supporting what we'll call the unbankable, if you will, yeah. and how it was changing the lives of people around the world. We looked at this point in time at Kiva, that was the the model that we were we were studying. Right. I think that the work that we did then to understand the potential of, of crowdfunding and how banks could actually leverage the financial technology in the future was something that always probably stayed with me. And in 2015, I'm going to say, I don't know, maybe 2016, but ATB created its own crowdfunding platform, which is known as ATB Booster. And yeah. that, that started ATB's uh, foray into this world of crowdfunding, primarily a rewards-based crowdfunding program that supports Alberta entrepreneurs. And in, so in 2000, like timing is everything. 2007, you know, the subject of women's entrepreneurship was growing in popularity. You were hearing a lot more about it in the media. Um, and the, the federal government actually in 2018 set up a women's entrepreneurship strategy, which really signaled right. the importance of women's entrepreneurship to our to our national economy. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, the research was painting or pointing to the fact that there was this gender gap that about 16% of all small, medium-sized enterprises are women-owned or women-led. And more critically, there's this investment gap that plays out in both debt financing as well as equity financing. So if we take in Canada, doesn't have great data around this, so I'm going to have to use some data from the states here. But you know, if we look at the venture capital and the capital market in the states, less than three percent of venture capital is going towards women-led companies. Yeah. yeah. And even in debt financing, those numbers 
um, there's there's a disparity there. So in, again, in the states, their average small business loan um, for women was about forty thousand last year versus six, seventy about sixty nine seventy thousand for men. And so you see that there's like there is this investment gap and crowdfunding. At the same time, again, this is sort of coming back into my mind. And I started studying back. I went back to like, okay, how is crowdfunding changing this market? And I came across an incredibly powerful study that was done by PwC and the Crowdfunding Center. And their research was pointing to a truly powerful gender dynamic when it came to crowdfunding. And what their research was showing that was women were 32% more successful than men in crowdfunding. And that was sort of the, well, it was, and that was for me, that moment where, okay, we're going to launch Build Her Business. I have a number of of clients who have participated in that build her business and and they they are so grateful that ATB launched that because I think the you know the it's it's the the rung on the ladder that they had to climb it was finally just there for them and so I think uh, you know congratulations for for doing that because I certainly know that many of my clients have have benefited enormously from that campaign. Well, that's great to hear. And, you know, the the greatest success stories are the, the companies that continue to grow after this. And I think about even our first year, a lady had tested a, a brand new product um, that she wanted to bring to market. And she was an existing um, cabinet maker. They had a cabinet uh, manufacturing company, but they wanted to bring a new line into the market. And she went on the on the ATB uh, booster platform through the Builder Business campaign, and she raised sixty six thousand dollars on her campaign. Wow! And what I love wow. about that wasn't yeah wasn't just that she got to raise this this money, but it then set other things in motion. She was the recipient of government a government grant for women entrepreneurs. And they were able to buy the building that they were renting in. So suddenly this. Oh, wow this business had a whole new opportunity in front of it and, and things just, you know, she put herself out there, but what I think crowdfunding does is, is not, it does change the capital game because it opens up an alternative source yeah. of financing. And it's also a type of financing where you're not giving up any equity in your company, nor are you yeah. having to pay for the interest on debt financing. So it's right. a remarkable way for women to, test their companies, test their ideas and bring them to market. But what's interesting is that this is kind of filling for me a gap in what would be the microfinance space. And we often don't see a lot of um, support at that small dollar value. And the reality is that most Canadian companies, about 58% of them are starting with less than $5,000. And when you break that down further, for the one person shop, 77% of companies start with less than 5,000. So you take a look at crowdfunding, that $5,000 could be what starts your website for an e-commerce platform. It could be the legal fees yep. that you need to incorporate. It could be for what for whatever that business goal is, but that could be really, really important money. And yep. I think what's also very telling in this picture is that crowdfunding, the success of it, it's one of the things that I am most excited about is it's, it's the one area where we're able to sort of overcome this notion of unconscious bias that we see in the funding system. So I'm really hopeful. Yeah, yeah Builder <clears throat> Business is now going into its third year. And I think ATB is going to do a remarkable job with it again this year. And I can't wait to see how many more women are able to start and grow their companies through that platform. 
Yeah, you know what's really interesting about that. You know, I, I fully agree with everything that you've you've said about the numbers and the the use of the, the you know the the use of the cash once they've raised it and how they can test their ideas and that. The other thing that I think is really fascinating about that is when there's a an opportunity like build her business that's that's dedicated to you know a, a particular time period. So for the next sixty days or whatever, this campaign will will go on and we'll we'll shine this light on on women entrepreneurs, um, the the camaraderie that exists and the fact that the women also take an interest in each other's platforms and each other's campaigns during, you know, throughout the the, the campaign that, that's going on, I think is really interesting. Um, and I think that some of the, the relationships that have developed from the, those um, are are game changers, certainly from what I see in my clients. So, you know, for example, uh, at a builder business campaign, um, an in-person, you know, back when we were allowed to have in-person meetings, um, people met a, another business partner. Um, and so they they had been looking for a co-founder, they'd been looking for somebody with a particular skill set, um, and they they didn't know maybe where to look or they, they weren't connected with these people. And, you know, you know, one person introduces to another person and and then they've now got this connection they've got this co-founder they've got a skill set that they needed to really move be able to move their business forward so i think that's what's really fascinating in addition to the fact that it's really solving a, a capital market issue for women yeah and i so love that you picked that up because again when we think about women's entrepreneurship access to capital is the primary barrier but the other two barriers are around access to social capital and access yeah. to entrepreneurial capital as well so you know entrepreneurial capital could be those entrepreneurial competencies that you need to be the most successful entrepreneur that you can be and the social capital would be the networks that are around you and when we take a look at the characteristics of women led businesses in this country they tend to be smaller they yep. tend to yep. be younger businesses as well. So they don't, you know, they're, we're dealing with brand new startups. We've got a, a, a massive um, pipeline of ambitious new startup entrepreneurs that are women in Canada. And they tend to be in industries that are um, more in like professional services, retail, hospitality, trade, tourism. Yep. And so when we built Builder Business, one of the primary um, notions was Let's make this a cohort-based exercise because we wanted to be able to give women a community of being able to go through something together and have it be a shared experience. And now when you right. start moving through into future years, now you have a, a pipeline of role models that can be mentors to others going through the program. You start yeah. to see these business connections form. And what I love watching, so and maybe for the audience purposes too, rewards-based crowdfunding is basically you put a campaign on a crowdfunding platform and you're trying to ask the crowd to fund your idea or your business, whatever your goal is. And so you're pitching to the crowd and the way that you reward the crowd for giving a financial contribution to the business is by giving a reward of some type. So reward right. strategy is really important in a crowd in a rewards-based crowdfunding campaign. But what I loved was watching the women start collaborating on their rewards packages and also supporting each other's campaigns. Like there was uh, there was some really remarkable moments of collaboration and collisions in that we saw through Build Her Business. Yeah, I agree, and I think that you know those unexpected collisions, as you as you've alluded to, are are where the magic really happens. How important is it that we create a more inclusive financial system? Do we need more women in finance? Yeah, I love that question. Um, 
Well, I think overall as an industry, like banking as a system, it was really never created with women in mind. I mean, you can go back a couple of hundred years in Canada, but who were who were the business leaders at that time? It wasn't it wasn't women. We're starting to see some of the blind spots because of a system that wasn't created with who the market is today. And so you start seeing these these blind spots show up as gaps, whether it's access to financial capital or the way that we view risk or the way that we we identify what a successful business is. And so from a from an industry perspective, as a as like serving customer base, we certainly need to be more inclusive because we need to make sure that we're more representative of the people that rely on our services and our products to start and grow their companies. I think that innovation, um, as you say, you know, systems were created years ago and and lots in the world has changed. And I think that we need to really focus that innovation on how do we continue to maintain inclusivity and and diversity because some of the the people doing business, some of the ways of doing business, some of the industries of doing business that exist today weren't contemplated, you know, 100 years ago when these systems were set up. And I think it's really important that the system continue to evolve to support the people that it, it's designed for, even though that might look completely different from how it was initially set up. Yeah, that's a really great way of shaping that. And and I couldn't agree more. And I think on the flip side of this, like having more women in finance, I think that's a level setter. You know, women are still mm-hmm. underrepresented in many of the financial roles. Um, and I would think that, you know, would having more female bankers, you know, as, as business bankers make a difference in supporting more women-led companies, I would I would be inclined to say yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think having women shaping the design of financial services products and the way that they're delivered. And I think at the end of the day, we're dealing with this issue of ensuring that diverse perspectives are able to influence the outcome and who we're actually trying to serve. So you're really shaping at the end of the day, it's the delivery of the experience, but you need those diverse viewpoints. But I also think you need women in in, in the very traditional and the purse strings, like whoever's controlling the purse strings, the women in those roles, I think are really important. But I would say that overall, like the financial system is just, there's a challenge for it is that we've overlooked the needs of our women customers at, I would say, every stage of, of a woman's journey, a life journey. And yeah. so we need to start recognizing some of these behavioral and attitudinal difference, differences between men and women. And the only way that we can really change the experience is by having those voices at that table who are making decisions about what that experience actually looks like. It's it's interesting when you've talked about the sort of the twists and turns in your personal journey and where, you know, how you've got to where you are. When you look back at the beginning of your career, did you ever think that you would be tackling gender gaps, investment gaps, entrepreneurship gaps, or is that is that one of those surprising things that that has come along your journey with you? Yeah, it it has been a huge surprise to me that this is where I would find sort of my my next landing space, my my where I'm living today in my mind and in my energy, yeah. and um, you know, I think I've always been really community focused. That's oh, community has always been really really important to me. Um, and I've always thought to live a life purposely and to make a meaningful difference. So this absolutely aligns to my values set. And while I didn't intentionally set out to tackle gender equality and looking at shaping the financial industry, the work that I'm doing right now around advancing women is is really just a natural fallout of a problem that I see in the market and a huge opportunity for everybody to rise. And for me, it's like, once you see something, you can't unsee it. And and right. I think that that's just, that's kind of where, where I'm at right now. And where and I mentioned earlier, I just feel called to do this 
this type of work. Yeah. And I just, this is, this is where I'm at. Well, we're very happy that you're called to do this work. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to uh, pick up on on your comment about how you know when you when you created your alias so your little Twitter alias to you know to 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 move forward your your passion project um you know that's pretty disruptive and that's that's really challenging the status quo as a female leader what does it mean to you to be a disruptor and to challenge the status quo and what kind of recognition you told you told the story about how you were outed from a colleague at ATV with your uh, with your alias what kind of recognition both in the positive and negative sphere have you received for being a disruptor well i can talk about so i guess being a female disruptor um you know i think the reality is that every business is going through some kind of transformation today and what has worked in the past for companies is not going to work in the future. And so I think challenging the status quo, it's it's vital for any organization to be competitive and to be relevant. And, and being a female disruptor, I, I, I think every organization needs disruptive thinkers in the organization, but perhaps this is also maybe why I was pulled towards marketing. Um, And again, sort of going back to my previous skill set, that probably really underpins everything that I'm doing now, but I always saw marketing as this internally disruptive role that drives change in organizations. And for me, challenging the status quo is really all about responding to changing customer expectations and being really yeah. aware of the potential threats that face any business. And so for me, it's a necessary business function, a necessary business attitude. You know, I can think about even looking at the financial sector, like some of the things I saw was, gender gap in entrepreneurship, access to capital being a barrier, declining trust in financial service providers, dissatisfaction with women customers, a system that wasn't meeting the needs of women, the changing demographics of women in the workplace as leaders and as entrepreneurs, changing societal expectations and even how we expect women to show up today and the balancing act that they still need to, um, to, to manage looking at how technology and communications is changing things. And on top of it, I really believe that we're going into this more purpose-driven economy. And so when I took a look at all of this as a disruptor with sort of a disruptive hat, I was like, the business model isn't working. And if if it's not working today, we will be irrelevant in the future. Um, and yeah. so I think from a disruptive standpoint, that's, that was my picture. And, yeah. to, you know, to answer your question about the positives and, you know, some of the negatives, I would say that the positives is, you know, when you, when you do bring a new strategy to life and you witness the transformation of it from its, its ideation to a moment where it becomes operationalized, I think that was incredibly important recognition of the importance of this work. Um, and for staying true to an idea um, and standing true in what you actually, what you believe in. I think the other recognition comes from the allies that you find inside and out. I mean, Heather, you and I, as professionals in that support women entrepreneurs, you know, a lot of our work was very closely intertwined and, and being allies yeah. towards the same cause. I think you find your champions, you find like-minded people out there who continue to challenge you. And there's that sort of notion of the the first follower. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that youtube video there was a guy dancing and it was like some rave or something oh yeah yeah so you know and he he starts dancing and everyone's kind of looking at him like he's a little out there a little little wonky and then all of a sudden one other person joins and that 
the importance of that normal. first follower. Yeah, yeah, that first follower is the one that brings everybody else to the dance party. And right. and you need that first follower in your organization. And so some of the recognition is when you have that first follower, there's nothing more rewarding than watching that person start. Um, you see the messages moving through the organization and it, it becomes part of the nomenclature of, of the organization to a larger group. And I think that's recognition that that means that has yeah. value. I think I was I was very vocal about the advance the necess- the, the things that need to change to advance women's entrepreneurship and it, it gave me a voice at a larger table and one of the most fortuitous moments was when I was invited to be part of the women's expert panel for the federal government's women's entrepreneurship strategy and it, that wouldn't have happened had it not been for trying new things bringing builder business to the table thinking about yeah. how do we change the system that ultimately was going to grow the number of women entrepreneurs and create a more sustainable, inclusive economy for Canada. So I would say those are sort of the, the positive recognitions. And you know, on the negative side, you're always going to face resistance. Anytime you're looking at changing behaviors or changing mindsets, you know, you're going to be perceived as challenging. And you know, quite frankly, there are going to be people that try and block you. And, and that's, that's yeah. the reality of being a disruptor. And I think sometimes for women, it's it's even harder when you're an internal disruptor, because unlike being an entrepreneur where you can create your own space at any point in time, working yeah. within a massive organization or a massive system as powerful as the financial services industry, it's harder to find those startup champions. You know what I love about what, what you just said and, and tying back to an earlier comment that you made is it, what, what I really take from that is that it, if... If you're going to be a disruptor and you're going to challenge the status quo, that is what's going to lead to sustainability. And I think that that's a really key message for entrepreneurs because in in their own way, in in whatever way they choose, they're disrupting something. And that's the reason why they've gone into business. And in order for their business to be sustainable, they're going to need to continually disrupt. And so if we tie that back to your earlier comment about the financial system and how it was set up, you know, way back when it was set up, if we don't disrupt that, it's not sustainable because business has changed. The people who are doing business have changed. And so I really think that that's an important message um, to take forward, that disruption is really a form of sustainability for businesses. Yeah, one hundred percent, and I, I, it's it's necessary. And at the yeah, you know, I I don't even know who originally said this, but you know, life will never be as fast as it is in this moment again, and it will never be as slow as it is in right. this moment either. And yeah. there's that tension of, you know, we have to be agile, we have to be disruptive, we have to be innovative, because the world is changing so quickly, technology is changing, and we no longer live in this bubble. This I would say, social media has really opened. So many platforms for disruptive customer experiences and customer expectations, but just how we live and what is important to us as a society now. So now you've created your own company. What does that look like? And what do you think the future holds for you, given where you've come from? Oh, man, I wish I had a crystal ball to answer this question. <laughs> and we I would like to, <laughs> to every entrepreneur's, you know, experience, it's, it's um, man, you take a leap of faith when you do this and um, what it will look like in the future I don't know but what I do know for sure is that I will continue to work on supporting the growth of women's entrepreneurship in Canada which given um, everything that is happening in the world today and the impact that COVID-19 has had on women's businesses this work has never been 
more important as it is in this moment. Um, you know, I think through my consulting work, I, I'm really fortunate. I work with the Women's Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub, which is out of the Diversity Institute at Ryerson University. And that hub is the, well, it's the hub for best practices and research on issues that pertain to women's entrepreneurship in Canada. So what's really cool about the work that I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm sort of living in this academic world as well, which is totally new to me. But what I love about it is that I'm getting even deeper into the issues and those questions, those those questions that sort of woke me up, you know, five years ago when I started working yeah. on it. They're coming in a new form today. Um, so it's interesting that I'm in this sort of academic world because that academic world is leading to the best practices for the advancement of women's entrepreneurship, whether it's through policy or how financial services supports or how the general ecosystem supports women's entrepreneurship. So that, that contract is one that I'm super excited about. And also while I left ATB um, earlier this year, I was really fortunate that I got to come back as a, as a contractor to ATB and help work on the economic recovery plan for Alberta women entrepreneurs with the, with the team at ATB. So that was, a really great way to exit and take a leap into my own into my own work. It's a small world, right? And we're all yeah. connected in this work. So to be able to to still be aligned closely to ATB and of course for ATB I'm in Alberta. It's you know Alberta's financial institution and you know I think that there's so much opportunity in front of us still and I can't wait to see what ATB does. But yeah it's it's great to still be connected in that in that way. Um, and then for, you know, as I'm just kind of figuring out where I'm going to last, sometimes you take a leap of faith and I know that there's, well, I would never encourage this as a banker, but it's okay not to know what your whole business plan looks like. <laughs> you don't always have to have it figured out. And I think that's, I didn't realize I was um, such a control freak in my own life, but I really realized like how difficult it is to not have structure and to know what things are going to look like. So I, you know, I'm dealing with a little bit of that, but at the same time, I'm, you know, there are a lot of opportunities right now for businesses to reimagine how they serve women entrepreneurs as customers. And I think I'm looking most forward to working with companies that want to develop their, you know, their customer value proposition and the strategies yeah. that will make sense to their business to effectively grow the women entrepreneur um, segment for them as, as a company. I just I see so much opportunity there. Um, and yeah. as I'm doing that, you know, I build my company, but I'm still staying truly committed to building out our community. I'm the co-chair for the Women's Entrepreneurship Day organization. And this year we have um, our ambassadors in Calgary and Edmonton who are going to put on some exciting virtual events um, mm-hmm. in celebration of Women's Entrepreneurship Day, which takes place November 19th. And I'm also really excited to be um, a community panelist for the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. They have their fifth annual Pitch for the Purse event where uh, one woman entrepreneur is going to walk away with $25,000 for her business. Oh, wow. so, Those are some, some great community initiatives that keep you tied to, you know, to these things that you've, you've talked about, like the gender gap and the investment gap and entrepreneurship gap. And those are, those are some really tangible ways to, you know, to tackle those. So that's great. Where can our listeners find out more about you? If you do a search for at Shannon Peston, you'll find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm still setting up Perfect. my company website, so that's going to be, that's a little bit slower to come, but um, stay tuned. <laughs> but, but we don't have to go underground and find your aliases anymore. We can just deal with you directly. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. <laughs> Shannon, thanks so much for joining our podcast today. Well, and Heather, thank you for this platform. I've had the pleasure of listening to many of your conversations and thank you for bringing women's entrepreneurship and leadership to the forefront. So great work to you and to Denton. Thank you. 
Oh, well, thanks so much. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.